Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Hey, channel Dr. Barry here, board certified intern, as host of the Lunch and Learn, and Today's episode is going to be a great one. We have Rudina Masadu. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's going to be talking to us about sexual assault, how to really define it and really get to the nitty gritty of how it affects everybody, male and female. And I really want to stress the male part because I think that sometimes gets lost in this discussion. And unless you've been under a rock, you know, uh, sexual assault and allegations and sexual abuse have been all over TV, radio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you consume your media, uh, there has been some discussion one way or the other uh, regarding sexual assault. So I wanted to bring on a special guest who's an expert uh, in this discussion uh, to kind of help me along and help uh, the Lunch and Learn community. So stay tuned for an amazing episode. Like always, if you want my show notes, head over to drpiersblog.com forward slash LLP. 054. And uh, in the show notes, I'm also having a link for a transcript. Like, yeah, we're actually going to be providing a transcript for you guys for this episode. So uh, get ready and get uh, set for another amazing episode here with The Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. First of all, thank you for joining another episode of The Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. And like I kind of alluded to earlier last week, we have a special guest uh, for a special topic. And unless you've been sleeping under a rock and haven't read a magazine, haven't turned on your TV, uh, this is a topic that's kind of been going uh, across the board. It's really not an industry uh, that's being affected primarily from uh, the topic of sexual assault sexual trauma. And like you know, if uh, as an internist, I know a lot about a lot, but when I don't know something, I always like to bring the big guns. I always like to bring the expert on. And today I have one of those experts in the building, right? So uh, let's learn community. First of all, I want you to give a you know nice little round of applause wherever you're listening to uh, this episode uh, to uh, Radina Massadu. She is a licensed clinical social worker whose specialty is trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy, right? But again, I, I don't want, I'm not even going to butcher her bio. Um, Radina, please, you know, tell the audience, tell the people listening, like who you are and uh, why I am in such awe of why you're on the episode uh, this week. Uh, thank you, Dr. Barry. You are so kind. Um, as you said, my name is Radina Messadu. I am a licensed clinical social worker, so I provide psychotherapy at a practice called Soul Spring Counseling in Palm Beach Gardens, and I am the trauma specialist there, specifically sexual abuse. So I love that you not only mentioned sexual assault, but you also mentioned sexual trauma, um, because that is more specific towards the different types of trauma that happen sexually rather than just the assault portion. So I'm so excited to have this conversation, and you know, even amongst the, the climate right now, I'm very excited that we're opening up this conversation for everyone. 
And and we have, I, you know, I got a lot of questions. I have a lot of uh, user questions that were kind of fed to me that uh, they wanted me to ask you. Um, but yeah. I think I wanted to start off right in the beginning because, again, I'll, I'll admit, again, I'm an internist, but I'm, I'm naive to some subjects. Right? And this is really one of them. Um, can you can you kind of like give us a, a, a definition or what does it mean to like be sexually assaulted? What is sexual assault? Because in, in this day and age, I'm not entirely sure I get the one picture. Like when I see one situation, they're calling that sexual assault. And I see something on a different spectrum. They're also calling that sexual assault. And I'm not sure, again, and I'm, and I'm naive to the subject, if if it's all kind of under one umbrella or is there certain levels of degree that I'm just missing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is a very, very good question. Um, Sexual assault would be more of the general term of the action. Um, So when you're talking about, uh, you know, being in a place where someone takes an action against you, that would be considered assault. Like, for example, in domestic violence situation, if you are hit by your spouse, that would be considered an assault or a battery. But the pattern of the things that happen in the relationship is considered domestic violence. So sexual assault is the same way. It's the actual action of violating someone else. Um, and then sexual abuse and sexual trauma is also a general term that falls into the different categories of abuse. So sexual harm can be subtle and it can be extensive, like you're bringing up with the different examples. You know, it can go from being group groped in the cafeteria line to rape without consent to unwanted pattern of being exploited sexually. So there's just such a wide gamut of things that happen in regards to sexual assault. So I think the more term that could be inclusive here could be sexual harm or sexual trauma. And, you know, as as an expert in your field, do you find mm-hmm. when, you know, people who clearly don't, can't really grasp the term fully, when they just kind of use that sexual assault, or like when they kind of use it willy-nilly, um, do you find harm in that? Is that is that something that we just need to kind of uh, uh, learn to like educate ourselves on, or like how, how would you? Uh, what are your feelings, especially you being in the field? Yeah, I don't know if I would say that it causes harm. It could cause harm. Harm, for example, like sexual assault could mean like a physical action towards someone, right? And if someone said a word to me that that I felt like was harassment, for example sexual harassment, that brings a different language to what I'm experiencing. So the different words that you use does bring a language. Um, you know, there's a difference between domestic violence and intimate partner violence that includes sexual content. And it makes more of a specificness. And I would say that sexual thought is a general word. I don't think it would be harmful unless you're um, communicating something that's at a lesser degree that could cause negative consequences for that person. But for the general consensus for everyone, I would say sexual assault is a pretty common term in sexual abuse or sexual trauma. And lunch learning community, I want to tell you again, uh, you're going to be uh, extremely, uh, you know, very educated by, uh, you know, this expert here. Like, again, I'm excited uh, to, you know, have her on the show this week. And again, you know, it's been like five, 10 minutes and I'm already, you know, adjusting the mindset of what it even means, right? To to be sexually assaulted, to be sexually abused, sexually harassed. These were terms that even I as a physician just kind of lumped together. And if anyone in the field should be able to kind of recognize the subtle differences and sometimes really not so subtle differences, um, it should be those in the healthcare field. And if those in the healthcare field like myself have trouble 
separating the terms, right? I can only imagine what our quote unquote layman may be experiencing, especially when they turn on the TV and, you know, and they see all of uh, uh, the, the women and men coming out and, and, and almost seems like droves and, you know, telling their story and, you know, it just kind of getting filed under uh, that one umbrella. So I, I definitely okay. don't want us to, uh, you know, downplay uh, the, uh, importance of the definition because again with, with definition comes power and if we if we define it like we're supposed to define it um, it allows our mind uh, to you know to to really embrace what a lot of again I don't want to I'm not sure if victim is the right term and please correct me uh, if I'm wrong but a lot of the the victims the people who come forward in their stories it allows them to empower themselves as well yeah and you know Legally, there's a huge range of ways to communicate a sexual assault or a sexual trauma. I mean, definitions of rape and obtaining consent varies based on your state laws. So you're, you know, everyone's confusion or being able to lump it into one word, I think that goes along just with society and also with laws. I mean, people don't really know Mm. how you're going to define it unless you're looking at the statute that says this is exactly what it means. I mean, sexual battery in a statute means oral, anal, or vaginal penetration by union with or the sexual organ of another um, anal or vaginal penetration of another or by another object. And so that is just a portion of sexual assault or sexual harassment that we're talking about. There's harassment that don't involve any body parts actually touching each other. So even with the laws, it doesn't fully define all the aspects of sexual assault and it's left to ambiguity. And so we have these words that allow us to talk about the different forms and the different crimes within that context, Um, like sexual assault, child sexual abuse, incest is a different aspect of sexual abuse and sexual assault that provides a different military action. Um, Prisoner rape, those are all different types of sexual assault that occur. Wow. And wow, that's first of all, thank again, thank you for, you know, educating mm-hmm. us. As as someone in the health field who may you know run into or, you know, encounter as someone who has experienced a sexual assault or sexual uh, type trauma. Because I'm not, you know, fully trained in, in that field, what are some things that I should be looking for? Like what are some I, I guess common characteristics or mannerisms or symptoms like that they would experience that would maybe help me clue me into maybe those are questions I should be asking. Absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, I want to say that these are factors that are coming into place. So I always say never assume to know someone's story. Um, so what I'm going to mention is it's not all inclusive but they are things that have been related or have a high correlation to victims of any type of sexual trauma. Um, I think a lot of the times you'll see anxiety and depression. People come in to their physicians a lot for anxiety and depression. And one of the things that I would say to look at there are, is there any underlying trauma? Um, Sexual abuse is highly correlated to chronic and pain, um, especially in the abdominal or pelvic pain, um, low pain threshold, anxiety, depression, if they're not taking care of themselves, if you're noticing any self-neglect 
um, eating disorders have been attributed to childhood sexual abuse. So even in children wanting to see any of those signs, are they sensitive to touch? Um, do they react differently when I touch them in certain areas? That can be a factor there. Is there any alcohol or illicit um, drugs or is there any associations between sexual activities is, you know, when you're talking about intimacy issues, is there any difficulty with getting aroused or being hyper aroused um, or any pain during sex? All of those are associated. There are high intimate sexual partners um, when you're doing your screening or you're gaining your history, um, any HIV, any STDs. Now, again, this is not saying every person who experiences this has been sexually abused. However, these are factors that we know um, when you're seeing a lot of this, that that would be a question to ask. Um, fibromyalgia has a huge high correlation with sexual abuse. I mean, it goes up to 80 to 90 percent of groups that they've tested who had fibromyalgia had some type of abuse, physical and sexual abuse in their past um, that manifests itself through fibromyalgia. It's not a causation, but there is a high correlation of people who have that in their past history. So I think noticing pain, anxiety, um, because post-traumatic stress disorder is an anxiety disorder. And so they may not know um, because something that happened to me 10, 20, 30 years ago that they may not even mention, they're coming in for anxiety or depression and just seeing, are there any underlying abuse here that's happening? Wow. And, and for those who um, you know, may be a little bit unfamiliar with fibromyalgia, from an internist standpoint, fibromyalgia is one of those diagnoses that uh, we consider like a wastebasket diagnosis. Reason being is that you have your patients who come in with you know chronic excruciating pain, and you may do a million dollar workup and not really find a reason why they're in pain. Like you check for everything, arthritis, infection, well, like everything under the sun to try to say, why is this patient in front of me having so much pain? And I can tell you as an internist, I will, and as a physician in general, we are not the best, right? Like, again, I'm, I think I'm very fortunate uh, in close proximity. I have a therapist who likes to talk and she stresses that I should like to talk. Uh, but I can, I'll be honest, like as a physician, that's not, our forte, right? Um, we, we tend not to talk a lot of about the stuff we can't see. So because we mm -hmm. can't physically see on a blood test, because we can't physically see on an imaging, uh, we say we don't know, um, and we're not mm -hmm. we're not the best of trying to get down to the bottom of you know maybe there's another reason uh, why she's having this pain and discomfort. Because I as and you know I've been I've been in medical school you know sexual trauma sexual abuse isn't one of the questions we tend to ask when we have pain. It just isn't. Right. Um, you right. know we there's a there's a a laundry list of questions we ask. And I'm not sure if it's a, a factor of physicians don't want to go down that rabbit hole uh, for, because they don't know, or they, they're just, you know, neglectfully saying, you know, I'm not even going to touch that, which is very interesting. And again, we could probably talk on that, you know, for quite some time, what physicians should be doing. Right. And also counteracting the studies that are happening, you know, um, things, studies that are happening in the mental health world, I'm not really sure the process of that completely coming over into the, phys the physician studies and the physician's world and counteracting how our mental health and our physical health come in together. So I think it's more of having these conversations to say there are studies that have been made that are linked to specific, you know, 
past histories, like physical abuse percentages are even higher when you're talking about fibromyalgia than sexual abuse. So just seeing how physical trauma affects the body and it manifests itself in so many ways, um, I think would be part of that conversation. In in your in your your line of work and you know with all the you know the people you've seen, is there any common is there any common traits as far as like who gets affected uh, from sexual trauma, sexual abuse? Is there either gender or race or age? Is there, is there a pattern that you tend to see a little bit more often than not? Um, that again would would or should clue you know you know someone like me to say you know what you know this person's kind of checking a few boxes. I really need to make sure I'm uh, addressing and trying to go after to make sure I know all uh, what's going on. Every 98 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And every eight minutes, that victim is a child. So that statistic alone tells us that children are very vulnerable to sexual assault. And I know what's been talked about in the media has been about women. They are vulnerable as well. But I think we tend to miss a little bit of the conversation towards making sure that our vulnerable youth are knowing about sexuality and being protected in that manner. Um, one out of six American women have been the victim of an attempt or completed rape and about 3% of American men, so that'd be one in 33, have experienced being attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. So ages 12 to 34 are the highest risk years for rape and sexual assault. So we're looking at, you know, the younger years here of where sexual assault happens. Um, You know, we know that it's majority of women, but it does happen in male. One out of 10 rape victims are male. And the interesting thing is that Males who are in college, who are attending college, ages 18 to 24, are approximately five times more likely than males who aren't in college to be a victim of rape or sexual assault. So I thought that was pretty interesting because (laughs) in regards to campuses, while it's very much needed, the conversation about violence against women needs to also be talking about violence against men. And um, their increased opportunity here with being raped while they are in college. Um, the highest race, greatest risk of sexual violence is Native Americans. So that are the Indian Americans here. Oh, wow. um, and that could be cultural factors that are in place with that. Um, and then, you know, when we're talking about the African American community, while they are not in the spectrum of the high numbers, or percentage, they're very much involved. But when we're addressing sexual abuse in the African-American community with women, we have to acknowledge that American history shapes the expression of Black women's trauma. So we have to talk about how slavery plays a part into the pattern of the way that women were um, gazed upon, analyzed, owned, abused, and ridiculed um, for their African-American body. Um, so when we're talking about slavery and there's a pattern of watching them being, you know, attacked or abused by the slave owner and treated as the way that they want to, and then go into their own community. And that happens as well. There can be a loyalty of um, protecting the individual who's doing the perpetrating in the community. And so because of the silence and the shame that continues 
And, you know, this is not only specific to African-American community, but the uniqueness is the American history of the way that Black women were treated during slavery. Now, is that, you know, first, first of all, a lot of, again, lunch learning community, a lot of gems um, uh, being dropped uh, mm-hmm. today, and especially for the men, right? The, the men, yeah. um, you know, and I, I've said this before, I think some of our men are like uh, superheroes. They, they act like nothing happens to them. They act like they can't get sick. They act like, uh, you know, they're invincible um, and they tend to avoid uh, the physician. And, and I think in a misogynistic way, when we talk about sexual trauma, sexual abuse, I, I again, I, I don't, I'm not going to speak for all men, uh, but I think a lot of them, right, really are assuming that this is a a, a female, a women's problem, um, instead of a problem that affects a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that's yes, I, absolutely. Those I, numbers, I was actually, I'm actually surprised I that I didn't realize it was that high. Um, yeah. Yes, and and you know what. In, in, in childhood sexual abuse, it's even higher. Wow. It's even higher. In childhood sexual abuse, one in four girls get sexually abused and one in six boys get sexually abused. So those are things we're not talking about. Wow. For, wow, okay. All right, like I said, uh, you know, I'm usually not, you know, stuttering or lost for words, but again, those are, this is, uh, you know, a very telling topic. And, you know, when you hear, you know, facts and figures and you're, you're just like, wow, like it, it, it just, it does take you aback because again, I think a lot of times we, we think of this topic and we think this is, oh no, this is primarily women. Only primarily women are going to deal with this. And no, no, no. Clearly uh, as they, um, there's probably a lot of men walking around now um, who's experienced some form of sexual abuse, trauma. Uh, and, and again, I, and I hate that I'm just like, you know, just trying to gel the words, but I shouldn't. Um, that they're, they're experiencing some type of sexual assault that's occurred sometime in their lifetime. Again, one out of six, like that's a lot of people. Um, and mm-hmm. they're still manifesting that even as adults. D- do you see that a lot where something occurred when they were 12, 13, 14, 15, and, you know, they suppressed it, they buried it, but now they have certain mannerisms and traits in their adulthood that you can almost, especially in your field and your expertise point back to like, like, no, like you see what happened to you when you were 12. Like, that's why you're acting the, the way you are now. I don't, I think I know where you're getting at. <laughs> and um, like I said, we never, look at someone and assume what because of the way that they're presenting themselves in front of us that we know exactly what they've gone through. Um, we want to be careful with people's stories and we want to be careful with um, the space and the pain and the hurt that's associated with that. Um, but I will say as people gain insights towards what they've gone through, you will definitely be able to see how it manifests itself later on. I mean, there are people who they would never have even said it out loud that they were sexually abused. And then they come into therapy because they have anxiety or they come into therapy because they're having relationship issues. And then, you know, I have time and time again where my clients still come in and they're doing their initial assessment and there's questions regarding specifically about sexual abuse because I specialize in that and we know the high rates and they go, well, I didn't even realize that that was sexual abuse or I haven't verbalized that with sexual abuse until I had to complete it in a questionnaire. 
So especially when things happen when you're young, you can repress that. And part of trauma, you lose memory. Um, so the repression can be subconscious or it can be intentional. But yes, you definitely bury, bury, bury. But it manifests itself in so many other ways. And at times you don't know that that's related to your sexual abuse until you sit at the point and allow that to come into fruition through conversation. Wow. However, that may be through therapy or talking to someone else with their story or you work in the field or you see something on TV that triggers you, however that may come, it, it's best to show itself. Now, now do you, and, and, I, I, and, and, and please correct me for, with this analogy, because a lot of the patients, especially my male patients, when they come to when they come to the doctor's office, it's usually some back end way of why they're coming. You, they, for especially, let's say they're having some sexual issues, some sexual health issues, and they want you know the, those big three medications. If, if they're saying, well, you know what, um, I'm having all these problems here, they they may not directly come out and say, hey, I want you know the Viagra, I want the Cialis of the world, but they have a whole bunch of different excuses of why they're coming. And then right right when I'm about to get out the door, they say, oh, by the way. Um, do you find that happening a lot as well, too, as far as like they like they come in the door for something and at the end, it's like, oh, no, 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 this this is what I really want. Yes, I'm laughing because it happens all the time, all the time. You'll talk about all these other things and then it's like, OK, well, you know, you're ready to schedule for the next session. It goes, OK, before we go, I have to drop this whole entire bomb that unfortunately you're not always able to. Um, compact with them. But yes, it does happen. I think people, it's, we hear stories all the time, but each time, every time someone has to muster up the courage to make themselves vulnerable to share that. Um, so I think that I never take it for granted when someone shares that with me because I know all of the shame that comes with it um, and all of the vulnerability that's required. And you sat here the whole time talking to me about other things when in your mind you wanted to share this with me. Mm -hmm. So yes, it happens. It definitely happens. And not just about sexual abuse. It happens about whatever in that moment is the toughest thing for that person to have gone through. They wait. Um, and I don't know if it's, maybe if I say it really quick, then I won't have to fully address <laughs> it in that moment. And I could just leave that with you. Um, and if that's what you need in that moment, I'll take it on for you in that moment until we're able to impact it in a space that's comforting and safe and non-judgmental. Oh, that is that is just too funny. Because yeah, right when you said that, I was like, oh, you know, I wonder if they do, I wonder if they do that to me, like do that to you guys too. Because I know they do it to us. Um, but I know they, they usually never come out and directly say like, hey, no, this is why like I'm here. Um, mm -hmm. all right. So again, I, I, again, I love to be enlightened, uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, this has definitely been an amazing one. How, how, especially, especially in your line of work, like how has all of the events that's been happening, starting from Hollywood and just trickling to almost every industry now, um, where, you know, you got people getting kicked off the today show. Like, we're like, like how, how has that affected, you know, in a, your field? Like, is, are you seeing more of an influx or is there is there is there is there a different uh is there more people coming are they coming out in different ways like what would you uh say that you've noticed as a big difference of the fact that you know now now we are actually talking about it because it's we're forcing it in the open mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I've noticed is exactly what you said. It's more of the discussion about it. And so what I am noticing is that when one person shares the story, the other person shares the story. And what also happens is that I'll have clients who will tell me, you know, um, I was watching TV and this story came up and it triggered them. Um, so I'm not saying that it, that there has been a huge people running into therapy to talk about their sexual assault because of the things that are happening in the media. I'm not saying that that's not, that's not happening, but that's just not my personal experience in my practice. But what I am experiencing is that there's more of a conversation being had with the people in their lives. And I'm having, I'm seeing more conversations occurring in media, more conversations occurring on social media. And I'm also getting males reaching out to me because they know that's what I do. And they're asking me, like, as a man, how do I, what do I do with this information that I'm seeing? Like, how do I look and see what that line is? Like, when, you know, I had someone call me and ask me, when does consent start? And how much responsibility is put on the male? And is this worth someone losing their job? It's just conversations that they wouldn't have asked me that if they would have saw if this wasn't happening in the media. So now I'm seeing that even guys are starting to reflect like this is serious. People are losing their jobs and women are being hurt and they're coming out in droves and we can't ignore it anymore. So how do I address that? And how do I need to pretty much check myself as a male to see, am I contributing to any of this occurring? Ooh, I'm so glad you said, uh, I'm so glad you said the men need to check themselves, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm privy to a lot of obviously male conversations, right? Cause they, they feel, you know, much more freer to talk. And instead of saying, you know what, I need to make sure that what I'm doing, you know, doesn't, you know, cross any line. And I think we, we can talk about like what consent means. Um, they're, mm-hmm. they're talking in the sense of like, oh, I need to protect my job or I need to, uh, I, I don't want women around me because for some reason, I'm such an animal, right? I cannot control myself if there's a woman in the boardroom, right? I can't, cannot control myself if there's a woman in the office. So let me just get rid of them instead of trying to change myself, right? Like, and again, and I'm speaking, and I, I, I speak as a contingent of, you know, being privy to, you know, conversations. I'm like, like, does that make any sense? Like, again, I have two daughters, right? I have two daughters. I have a wife. I have a mom. I have cousins. Like, it's like, I, I'd never want them to ever feel that when they can't go to work, when they can't, you know, act as if they want to act for fear of, oh, I might get fired or, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be able to act quote unquote normal, uh, around me. Um, yeah, and I think that to bring a conversation about culture too, we got to bring a conversation about what society deems as normal in regards to sexuality. We have to bring a conversation of how do I relate to a woman if I don't, if it's not just about a romantic interest or if it's not just about two consenting adults, how do I have four women? Talk to them. You know, yeah, I mean, they, in that conversation, he was like, well, don't women put these clothes on so that they can get attention or that they can get a comment? Or don't they do your, why do you do your hair? Why do you get your hair done? Isn't that to get a comment or attention to a man? And I'm like, that is an unhealthy view about women because the perception is that women is here 
for the entertainment and attention of a male. Yep. And that is very unhealthy. And I think that can gauge into, even if it's not your intention to harass someone, but if you had that thought process going about, this is how I relate to women, then that can happen. So I think the conversation is, is bringing up of how do you view women outside of the people that you're in a relationship with or outside of wanting to be in a relationship with them? How do you view them when you're looking at their bodies? Um, even if it's not something that you say, but in the way that you're viewing, you're perceiving your culture, your environment, and that's going to come out um, unintentionally or intentionally in the way that you relate to them professionally um, and in the way that you relate to them personally. Mm. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad you touched on that because I, I, I definitely wanted to make sure because I have a lot I have a lot of men who listen to uh, the podcast as well. And, and and again, when I hear the conversation, I'm like, but. Like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I honestly have to say that. Like, what do you like? What do you mean? Like, this, and they always use that crutch. Well, you know, I have, I have sisters, I have a mom, I have. As like, I respect women, but like, it's always a but. How come I can't talk about this in this certain way? How come like? And I say, once you have to say a but, like, it's like stop right there. Like, that's where you should. Right. That's where you should end it. Absolutely, and I think the confusion with the consent with this particular conversation is. Okay, well, if I say or act to do something to one girl and she's not offended, and then I do it to another girl and she is offended, how do I, as a male, um, relate or know when I'm being offensive? Like, when does consent start, pretty much? And is, is the consent, and, and when is it deemed sexual harassment? Is it deemed sexual harassment when someone gets offended, even though I said the same thing? Or is it deemed sexual harassment when um, whatever I say, even if the person is offended or not? And so these are great conversations to have. And I think we should have them more in uh, co-ed spaces yes. so that men can provide their perspective and women can provide their perspective and being able to respect each other and increase the conversation about respecting one another outside of sexuality. I mean, just uh, amazing, amazing gems. And, and you know what, men, you know, again, the men who listen in, you know what, if you have a question, just ask, right? Like if you, if you're not, yeah. a lot of times, a lot of times they just, they won't even ask. Like they're like, well, how come I can't do, did you, did she say you could? And mm-hmm. I immediately will point to them like, well, you know what, what if someone, um, let's say if they're heterosexual, what if someone uh, of the same sex did that to you? Like, would you have no problem with that? Right? And automatically, right, you get the, well, oh, I don't want, like, no, no, no. Like, well, if you can understand uh, what it means to have an unwanted, like, sexual advancement, unwanted sexual comment in your presence, unwanted, um, you know, uh, display of power, because I think men use it a lot from a, from a power standpoint. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a position in their job, position at work, position in school, um, I think they use it as power more than anything. And when we start saying like, well, you know what? You can't actually talk like this around, you know, women in your office or women in school, right? I think they take it as like, all right, you're taking my power away and I don't want my power being taken away in this matter. Like what other, what other way can I circle around it while still keeping my power? Yes, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it feels like that sometimes. It feels like you're asking me, well, what can I do to change? But I really don't want to change. I really want you to not be offended. But how can I Mm. avoid the sexual harassment so I don't lose my job? And it's, are you really asking because you want to know? Or are you really ready to look at 
the things that we've been naturally conditioned. This is not necessarily all your fault, <laughs> you know, naturally right. conditioned to how to relate to women or how to and vice versa. You know, we're talking about men and women, but women with men. Um, you know, I was in a place with someone that I was dating and this woman walked up and just started touching all over his body. Didn't ask him that that's sexual harassment. Um, and so I think we have the conversation about men and men to women, but there's also a conversation of women to men. It's, you know, this person is not just a sexual being. How do you relate to them? And, and, and what is the conversations we need to have? And asking is for sure the number one thing and being open to change your way of thinking and your way of doing things. Um, I, I know we don't have you for long, so I want just a few more questions for for those who do come forward. Like after after that step, right? Because obviously it's a big step, right? We're not gonna we don't want to belittle the step of actually acknowledging something happened or something is happening. What's next for them? Like, and, and this is I think this is where you kind of take the ball and run. Like, what what is next for them? What do they? What what do you uh, you know educate and empower them with kind of to help move, continue moving forward? Right. Um, I, the main thing when someone has gone forward and the gone forward doesn't necessarily mean I went to media and wrote a letter. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. I went to law enforcement and filed a report um, because that generally doesn't happen either. It could just mean I disclosed to somebody. I shared it to someone who was other than myself. I took it from outside of my head and something that I put in the past and I shared it to someone. And the main thing there is gaining support. It takes so much courage and so much pushing past stigma and pushing past shame because realistically, there's a lot of victim blaming. And I think the main thing there is not asking, well, what did you do um, for that to happen? Or why didn't you... Why didn't you scream? Or why didn't you push? I mean, I was even reading the statute and it said, if the person is physically able to resist, then it, like that was part of the limitations. And I think even that is victim blaming. So you're telling me if I don't physically resist, although someone has power, although someone might be using coercion, that therefore that's a limitation to you considering this being a sexual violation towards me. So I think the main thing would be in that moment is providing support, emotional support, physical support, um, linking them to professional help, which would be me or um, group therapy, or, you know, we have our local victims advocate. There would be considered professional support, knowing what's out there. Um, Getting medical examination, if if it involves, you know, sexual activity, which is appropriate, getting an STD HIV testing um, to make sure that you are clean and that you are safe after you've been violated in that way and allowing, you know, just even as physicians, allowing them to bring people in with them, if that's the reason that they're coming, of whatever type of support that they need um, in that moment. Um, The next thing that they need is safety planning, brainstorming ways to feel and be safe again. Once you're violated um, sexually, verbally, you're playing that in your mind. You have flashbacks towards that. You can get triggered by things that you're not even aware that would trigger you. So, sitting down and talking as a support. What do you need to feel safe in this moment? What do you need to feel safe next week? Who are the unsafe people that you feel uncomfortable around and creating a system to where they constantly know that they are safe because when you're violated, you you lose your sense of security. I'm calling the National Sexual Assault Hotline, um, which is at 800-656-HOPE-4673. 
um, and having people readily available to talk to you through it. Um, I think crisis hotlines and, you know, rape hotlines, sexual assault hotlines, national suicide hotlines, all of those are great because they're generally anonymous. So even if you felt like there was no one in your life that you could talk to, you at least know that you can call someone up who will be able to walk you through how you're feeling, even if it's just for that moment or for that five-minute phone call that you're on. Um, and then also looking at reporting options because we do want to make sure that if you know who it is, you are reporting it um, so that they're not then um, offending other people. Do you ever place a, a time frame where they should, I, and I, I hate to say it, but they should, I guess, move on? Like, is there ever a good time where, like, after a month, after six months, after, is there is there a one-size-fits-all when, when, when we talk about moving forward? You know, there's not a one-time-fits-all. And then when we're talking about therapy specifically, some people, they come in and they, they're in therapy for a few months and they feel like, I, I'm, I'm processing this a little better. I can move forward. And then there's people who find it beneficial to stay in therapy and have it to be long, more long-term. So it's, it's, there's never, this is exactly how long it should take. And after that, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of lingering this on. It's not, there's never that because it, it affects so many aspects of your life. It's not just that happened to me. It's that happened to me. And that is associated with so many different things that I'm going through. Like in therapy, you know, you're providing a place to talk through the problems and the challenges and they're learning new coping skills and they're learning ways to deal with their feelings and their strategies and their stress. And you just never know what triggers you and what sets you back um, or what new experiences that are coming up that are related. I mean, we're talking about intimacy issues in, in marriage that could be based on the fact that you've had sexual trauma, um, where you can talk about shame, anger, resentment, anxiety, self-worth. I mean, how long does it take to build back your self-worth? Would you say that's a few months or would you say that's a few years? I mean, it's just really hard to say. Um, and I would, and I personally would go on the end of, if it took them 40 years, let's just say 40 years, because it happens. <laughs> if it took them 40 years just to tell someone else that, they were sexually abused, how long do you think it would take for them to be able to walk through that in all those years that they went without sharing? Very powerful. Very, very powerful. Before we go, for one, one we're going to, you know, we definitely want to let, you know, people know how they can find you. Uh, but for someone who may be listening and, you know, just judging off the numbers, it's a pretty good chance that someone's listening who who hasn't come forward in our regards? Is there anything that you you would say to them that say, well, you know what? I know it hasn't happened yet, but like eventually it happened. Is there anything that that you know you know I could say or you could say or something that you know just kind of help them say, you know, there is help out there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm glad that you mentioned. Is there anything that you could say because? What I would like to see in regards to physicians specifically is being able to open up that question in a natural way to where it doesn't feel like it's something that you're trying to avoid. We all need to check our own comfort level with asking the hard questions and allowing the space for that to happen and knowing that someone's story is their story and you're not pushing them to share their story, um, but you're allowing them to know that 
at all times, there's someone there who could support you in that. At all times, even if there's no one in your life, there's someone there who can relate to what you go through. And there's someone there that you do not have to walk through those pains, through those memories, and through the discomfort by yourself. So for someone who hasn't mentioned it to anyone, for someone who hasn't gone forward, I want them to know, number one, it's never your fault. It's never your fault that that has happened to you, that someone has violated your trust in that way. Um, and two, I want them to know there's always hope and there's always someone, one person that you can turn to for that comfort and for that level of safety. I mean, I think that's, that's the key thing here when we're talking about dealing with sexual assault. This has been absolutely amazing. Again, I can't understate, you know, how amazing it's been to have someone in your field, an expert like yourself, uh, be able to really educate the, again, you're, I know you're educating the lunch community, but you, I can tell you, you definitely have educated me and have, you know, I'm definitely like the, the, the wheels are like churning as far as what can I do as a physician. Uh, to make sure I'm I'm asking those questions and making sure it's not super awkward or something I'm just trying to get through to get to the next patient uh, room. So uh, thank you. Do you have it included in your screenings? Any type of trauma? I, I can tell you like for a patient family history or patient history. I I can tell you we do not. It, it's definitely not something that, it, and it's and it's weird because usually our medical history is hypertension, diabetes, and maybe one of the questions, if I think about it, maybe a couple of those questions may have it, but they probably have to go through 10, 15 different medical diagnoses before they even get to that point. So again, that's the physician, the health practitioner has to go through 10 to 15 different medical questions before they may, they may ask, I'm not even saying they will, they may ask like sexually, like if, if it's checked off, great. But uh, the likelihood that a physician is going to offer up, like, hey, by the way, anything mm-hmm. like beef is is extremely low, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So I would say that would be part of providing that safe space too, right? So if I already see that you are um, putting it on a screening or that you're opening a discussion, even if I don't want to tell you that time, I can see that this is a safe place for me to talk about this because you're acknowledging it before I have to. And so if there's ever a place where I want to talk to my physician about it, I know that I could talk to him because that has been somewhere in some aspect of a screening or a conversation um, or something that some brochure, whichever is there. So I would say that that would be part of helping to bring in a safe space, especially in a physician's office. Amazing. So before we go, I want you please tell uh, tell our community like how can they get in touch with you? Because I think uh, there's people there's people going to be listening to it. People are going to read this and read read the transcript and you know, want to like seek some help. How can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So they can always get in touch with me at soulspringsflorida.com. So I am at Rosina at soulspringsflorida.com. Um, our practice has a website. And we are also on Facebook, so you can like us at Soul Spring Counseling. Um, and yeah, that is the best way to get in contact. It would, oh, and I'm also on Twitter at Rodina underscore M. So if you wanted to get in contact with me on Twitter, if you wanted to send me a tweet while you're listening to this, I could definitely respond and we can engage in a conversation. We could take the conversation to Twitter as well. So those would be the main channels to get in touch with me. Perfect. And everybody, I will this we will have a full transcript 
And obviously in the show notes, we're going to have all of our contact information as well. So um, even if you're, you know, you're driving and you can't write down everything, you'll, you'll have access to it. Um, and please reach out. Um, if this is a topic and you, you've seen the TV, you've read uh, the blogs, you've read the news and you've seen all of these things happen. And, and in the back of your mind, you're saying, you know what, I think I may be, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, a statistic in this uh, amazing topic here, you know, please feel free to reach out to her, um, you know, at, at your earliest convenience, you know, at your private time, uh, because again, getting help, empowering yourself is really why, uh, you know, we do what we do on a, on a daily routine. Um, uh, we, we love to see the transformation. We love to see the, the mental, um, you know, uh, you know, the strength uh, that comes from saying, I have a problem and I need help. And can you please help me? Uh, so please feel free again, you know, bombard her. Uh, she's been absolutely amazing. And again, uh, for the lunch learning community, uh, Thank you uh, for all that you uh, do. And again, as always, uh, Dr. Barry here, helping to empower you uh, to take control of your health uh, today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, Dr. Barry here. You have just listened to another great episode of The Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry. I hope you're excited and hope you learned something from today's episode. I hope you learned from all of the episodes uh, that you get a chance to listen to. Before you leave, if you not have already done so, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. I am everywhere where you like to listen to podcasts at, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, wherever you like listening to podcasts, the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry is there. Also, go ahead and follow me on my social media outlets. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, as well as Twitter, all at Lunch Learn Pod, whether it be Twitter.com slash Lunch Learn Pod, Facebook.com slash Lunch Learn Pod, and Instagram.com slash Lunch Learn Pod, where you can, you know, get any videos, any pictures I may post, any messages or writing. So please follow me on there right after you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and right before you leave me a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio or wherever you can actually leave me a review. I'm much appreciative of all of you guys' support. And like I said earlier in the show, I will see you next week.